Welcome to Marketing Thought Leadership, the podcast that offers insightful discussions on thought-provoking marketing topics. Here's the host of our show, marketing consultant, speaker, author, and educator, and the president of Leverage 2 Market Associates, Linda Popke. Hi, this is Linda Popke, and welcome to our latest episode of Marketing Thought Leadership. We're here today with Rick Steele. Rick is the founder and CMO of Select Blinds, which is an online e-tailer of independently branded window fashions. He manages almost 100 people and serves millions of customers. He's been described by his friends as a mix between Bear Grylls and Elon Musk, and he's committed to helping as many people as possible become successful entrepreneurs and business owners with his expertise in online marketing, brand archetypes, tailored business launching formulas, uh, social media, and living life to the fullest. And Rick donates time and financial resources to numerous organizations, including his daughter Kylie's nonprofit animal rescue, Rubicon Rescue. So welcome, Rick. Hey, Linda. That guy sounds interesting. When can you make it uh, an introduction for me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who is that person? Yeah, that right. sounds fantastic. Um, thanks for, for spending time here. Tell us, before we get started, I need to find out about Rubicon Rescue. What's the nonprofit animal rescue about? Yeah, so I, my, I have a, a daughter. She just turned 18. You know, everybody, I think, talks about their, uh, their kids as being great, right? But uh-huh. I'm going to, like, now brag about the greatest 18-year-old you know, right? Okay. So at, at 15 years old, she, you know, she kind of found her calling, her why in life, and it was just to save dogs' lives. So okay. it started with her rescuing a puppy on a freeway, and then that turned into, uh, like, 10 dogs. And now here it is, three years later, she has rescued a little over 500 dogs, from everything from, you know, lost dogs to literally going to animal shelters and pulling dogs off of the kill list that were labeled, uh, you know, human aggressive or animal aggressive. They were going to get killed, putting them through rehab and finding their forever home. So her, uh, her rescue is called Rubicon Rescue. And it's just a, you know, it's, it's just something she's really good at. She's great with animals. It is a, uh, and it's, and it's her calling. And I feel like this is – it's like my obligation of her, as her dad to uh, make sure I get this plug-in, this shameless plug-in for this nonprofit <laughs> that she runs every time I get, to, I get to talk about it. That's fantastic. I'm a dog lover, so I love to see that happening. That's, that's really wonderful. Okay, so let's talk about Kylie's dad for a minute. Um, so you have had a number of really interesting experiences in your life, and some of them good, some of them bad. One of the ones um, that you talk about is your mom was hit by a car when you were seven years old. That can be pretty traumatic. How did that experience affect you? Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. It's you know I'm seven. We're eating uh, you know, Fruit Loops or Fruity Pebbles, one of them, and you know I hear this screech outside, and the next thing I know, I'm being whisked to my neighbor's house, and yeah, my mom's crossing the road, was looking into the sun, didn't see a car coming, you know, hit her, knocked her, you know. 50 feet in the air or some crazy number. And, you know, that was, it was one of these things where my parents were born handicapped. My mother was born with cerebral palsy. My, uh. Uh, my father actually became handicapped uh, as a young child and they met at like a Shriners hospital. So, you know, for me, I would say that the biggest takeaway I got from that was just being tossed into adversity from like day one. You know, we had to live through some things that I think probably the typical family doesn't have to go through while everybody has their problems. You know, we had some real, like, real problems. Like, is there going to be a home? Is there going, you know, how are we going to survive bankruptcy? 
all this kind of stuff. And then caring for, you know, your mom when you're a kid isn't necessarily the easiest thing to do. But, you know, looking back on this today, you know, I believe it's helped really shape me who I am because, like, the little things, the things that are less greater than getting hit, than getting hit by a car seem to just kind of uh, roll off of me easier, I think, and maybe a little bit more uh, readily than the average person would be able to take. So um, I think it's the grit, and I think it's that, um, that ability to uh, handle adversity. And if you don't have it, go out and find some uh, – Go ahead and find some intentional adversity that you can thrust yourself into to, um, to to let you see what it's like. And I prescribe this for a lot of people that I train. And I think you're absolutely right because I think it's it's there's a resilience that we see, but there's also I think understanding. You know, when you're thrown into something, you don't have a choice. Your mom got hit; she was injured. You had to take care of her. Things happened, and it's not like you can say, "Well, I I, I chose this career. Or I don't want to do this today." Um, you're just not really given a choice in it, and that helps you really understand how to move forward with things. So uh, that, that's pretty impressive. Uh, you've done a lot of different things. You've been involved with baseball cards and Beanie Babies and online mortgages, and now you're selling blinds, window fashions. How, how does this all come about? They're, they're so different in terms of what you've been working on. Oh, you can't see the correlation between Beanie Babies and blinds, Linda? Okay, so let me explain because <laughs> <laughs> neither can I. The uh, the best way, you know, I would say to describe this would be, you know, I'm a kid and I'm collecting baseball cards, and I believe just, you know, through osmosis, this kind of came together where I'm collecting cards. It's a hobby, but now all of a sudden this hobby becomes a, you know, a little bit of an internal business in your mind because the idea of collecting baseball cards is to both put a collection together, but then also you know, game the system as much as you can to get a better deal on the next card and, and obtain cards that are going to be worth more money and better value in the future. So, you know, you get to see your own little kind of, in a mini way, collection starting to form. And it's, you know, you get a lot of the important metrics that are very viable in business today, you know, kind of cranking uh, in this kid's head, right? So that's how, you know, the baseball card thing came about. The Beanie Baby thing as a young adult, it was truly at the, you know, the turn of the century when eBay was, you know, yep. online, 1997, 98. And it was really nothing more than just me wanting to see what this Internet thing is about. I need to get online. I need to sell something. You know, eBay's the place to do that. And and actually, I didn't sell Beanie Babies. I sold, you know, I tried selling Beanie Babies for a while. But what I sold was the very first, you know, some of the very first content ever being sold online. I sold a manual that taught people how to go to Hallmark stores and buy Beanie Babies at cost from Hallmark oh, store owners. <laughs> right, okay. it was like a twelve-page manual. We we yeah. printed off of our um, our home computer. Interesting. Wow. And then from there, you went to online mortgages. Yeah. So you know the the eBay, the online selling thing went to the mortgage. You know, we launched our online mortgage platform in 1999. It uh, did billions of dollars in loan applications. You know, and then the 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 drive, the move away from mortgage was, you know, I would like to think I was an expert at, like, mortgage-backed securities and, you know, the uh -huh. whole financial crisis um, that we went through. But I had a prediction that, you know, all these loan applications that we saw coming in and people, you know, didn't matter what their credit score was or, you know, whether they should or could qualify for a loan or not, they were able to get a home loan. Just that didn't really make sense to me, and this was around right. 2003, so we just kind of made a decision that we're going to keep the mortgage thing, but alongside this, let's go build something else 
to insulate our team and our company um, from what possibly could happen in finance. Let's go do something completely different. You know, the, the blind thing happened because we just had a newborn and daughter Kylie. <laughs> and, okay. you know, Kylie was like a year and a half years old or whatever. And, you know, she couldn't sleep in her room because of the sunlight that came up. So we called a blinds company to come to our house. You know, it was like an extra mortgage payment just to get a few blinds put in that room. And I just thought, <laughs> there is no way, there's no way that those that right there should cost that much. And right. sure enough, they don't. They didn't. You know, they shouldn't have cost that much. And uh, so we set out to build a way uh, for consumers to measure their windows, install their own window fashions, save a ton of money by doing it, but deliver them a really great brand direct-to-consumer. And did you start immediately online, or you, have you ever had brick-and-mortar stores, or this was just a total online experience? Totally online. You know, we were now at that point four years deep in um, Internet retail. Well, in, in Internet, you know, between, right. you know, the Beanie Baby stuff and then the online yep. mortgage platform that we built, that we had a pretty good knowledge on how to build websites, and um, we were pretty good at user interfaces and converting customers. So, you know, we just said, listen, let's try our hand at something we don't know anything about, which I believe is also kind of a secret sauce, uh, especially ah. when you're starting something. I like going into industries I don't know anything about because I don't have, like, these lenses that everybody wears in that industry. I'm able to look at it like a consumer, I think, a little, little more and have a different take on what I believe is right for the consumer. And that's really what we did. We made that decision, um, I think it was in, like, March, and at the end of April, we launched the site. Wow. And this was in 2003, or, or when was this? 2003, yes. 2003, wow. Wow. And so you've, you've continued to grow this. Um, what have been kind of the, some of the ahas that you've, you've gotten um, as you've kind of gone through this? Because this is a long time now. You've been with this one concept for 15 years. What are the things that you've learned that, that perhaps you weren't expecting along the way? Yeah. Um, you know, you've got to step up at the plate every day. I, I think this is an overly used term. I don't like saying it a lot, but, you know, getting out there and failing, it's, uh, mm. you know, everybody says this now. But you have to get up and take some swings at the plate. I mean, for me, it's about data. Data never, like it disappoints sometimes, but it definitely yep. never lies. And data will tell you. Um, and if you listen to your consumers and marry that with a little bit of good data, it is impossible to get this wrong. You have to purposely go out of your way. So I think it is as, as good as we know our company to be today. You know, we're going to look back on that a few years from now, and we're going to see the company that we are today, and we'll kind of laugh at it and say, oh, my gosh, how did we do anything with that platform or with that model or selling that <laughs> way? Because um, so, it constantly changes, so you have to – you know, every day be thinking about your business. I mean, your business is your baby, right? This is like a right. like a living, breathing human being that you have to nurture and you have to feed. And when you stop doing that, well, we know what happens when you stop doing that to a baby, right? You, right. It's the same as with a business. So you have to just be feeding it every day. And, you know, it's got to be your number one priority when you're here. Not your number one priority in life, but your number one priority when you're when you're at the plate, you know, at this moment. So you, you have in your book, 30 Days to Launch, you talk about baseball metaphors. You talk about hitting singles and getting to the plate and start swinging, you know, getting a lot of hits instead of trying to go for the big grand slam to, to win the game. Um, what, kind of, uh, what kind of advice would you give to people who are starting out today? Uh, you know, they're, they're not coming into this when the Internet is new. They're not coming into it when 
um, you know, and some of these services have never been thought of, you know, in the age of Uber and Lyft and Airbnb and all these things. Um, how do you kind of come in and start doing this? What would you recommend if, if Kylie said to you today, um, I'm, I'm, you know, I've done the animal thing, I want to start a new business. What would you tell her? Yeah. I, you know, first and foremost, I mean, I believe it's important to identify something that you can truly get behind. And, you know, if you if you looked at it four or five years from now and said, you know, why am I doing this? Because I've done this before the wrong way. If, yep. if you know, if I got behind something and said, okay, I'm just going to I'm just going to do this business because it sounds cool. And then five years from now, I look back and say, why the hell am I doing this? It would. You know, it wouldn't fulfill me, and I couldn't – I just – no way I could give it my all. So I would say, first and foremost, you've got to understand really why you're doing it. Like, what is the takeaway? And why, you know, if like three to four or five years from now, would you say – could you look back on this and say, why am I doing this? You would know specifically because it's, it hadn't been grained in your mind for five years, right? So finding that, um, you know, in the age of disruptive technology, you know, this is really the reason I wrote the book is because, you know, I'm a – I'm a fan of all of the great books that are out there. I've read them all. They have amazing advice. But there are so many of them that the average person doesn't know where to start. And right. what I found is, you know, it's like you, you've got to, you know, have some sort of accountability that lets you just at some point start chopping away at logos and LLC, company formation, and taking care of these little minute things that are so important in the early stages that get you – you know, kind of set up to actually be a business. Now, at the end of this process, like in my book, 30 Days to Launch, you're not going to have this this business that's making a lot of money, but what you're going to have is I've gone through like the the boot camp of 30 days, and you will have a business, and it'll be a really bad business, but you'll have right. a business. And I get a, you know, I get a testimonial every day from somebody, you know, the um, the lady that runs this IV company uh, that I get these weekly IVs. She comes to me and sends me a text the other day. She's like, you inspired me to start my own business. I thought you should know. Uh, it's been a couple of weeks since we started. And she's already got four people working for her, and she's doing this, right? Right. But she had to, you know, kind of dive in to the process and start taking, you know, uh, swings at the plate and failing a little bit, but, you know, knocking some of these little tasks off the list. And there's a lot of these little tasks, you know, when it comes to, to starting a business. Do you think that sometimes we think we have to be perfect? We have to have all our ducks in line. You know, we've got to have the whole team lined up. You've got to, you know, done the whole thing. And I'm thinking of a baseball metaphor here that you've got to, you know, make sure you, you, you've covered all the bases and all of that before you start. And yeah, as opposed so to getting out there and just swinging, right? Yeah, it's overwhelming, right? When you start to think, if, if I were to have looked back in 03, the, you know, hundred plus thousand hours of engineering we have on the site, on our, our yeah. site, um, our website, and, and all of the, you know, mil- you probably, you know, hundreds of thousands or millions of man hours put into making this a real company. There's no way I could have uh, uh, wrapped my hands around that. There's just no way. So, you know, uh, I got this buddy, and he used to work for me. He's a great friend. Um, I'm not going to mention any names, but he used to work for me, and he was one of the most talented per- people we had, and one day he comes to me and he's like, "This I got to get this off my chest." Me and this other guy, we want to start our own deal, and I was mm-hmm. like, "I think that's amazing. You should do that." And like saying that, it was a casualty to our company because he was right. so important to our business. But he didn't know, so because we had never had this conversation, and he had been kind of not hiding it, but just kind of afraid to have a really uh, open talk about it, mm-hmm. that. 
I was welcoming this with open arms. Fast forward today, 10 years later, this business is doing $50 million a year. He's just a, he, he's amazing, right? But, it, but it's sometimes like those little simple things hold people back. And it's like if the story in their head is so big that they can't get over this one question or get out to, answer, to ask this one question. And really what ends up happening is that, you know, it's a two-way street. That communication from the other side is very welcomed and open. And it's just the simple things you have to knock out. So it's a – you know, if he would have had that conversation like a year before or six months before, I would have the same opinion, which was you should absolutely do that. We will find somebody to replace this position. I'm so proud of you. I'm happy for you, you know. So um, I think a lot of it's just getting out of your own way and mm-hmm. getting out there and starting. I think you're right. I think I think sometimes people are waiting for permission, right? Is everything in the right they are. Yeah. Thing. I mean, there is no permission. You have to give yourself permission. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. I like that. The, the permission is. Uh, I mean, we still is. You know, I still ask myself for permission all the time for things that I delay, and I think it's just human nature that we all do that. Yeah, absolutely. So you told me um, before we get started that you you had just finished the Ironman a couple of days ago, and I know that you do a lot of those endurance type of activities. Why Why do you keep doing this? Is it just Is it fun? Is it just Something that you're you're trying to achieve something bigger and greater, or what's the reason? What do you what do you take out of these? Because they're they're tough experiences, right? Yeah, yeah, it's hardship uh, in the event that you're in. I mean, for me, it's like from a personal level, I do it really for my kids to inspire my kids and mm-hmm. my family. You know, it's a um, I have four kids. They're all very athletic. They all like going out and doing stuff like jumping in cold pools in the winter Ooh. because okay. it's hard. And I know that yeah. makes no sense at all. But they have this mindset now, which is like, if it's hard, I should do it, or I should try, I should attempt it if it makes sense. And jumping in a cold pool, while it really seems, no, I don't want to do that. It's truly a, um, you know, it, it 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 breaks things up a little bit. And like I do things like this in the morning to, you know, kind of set my day up and get me in a little bit of a power, uh, you know, power. But the endurance events are truly, you know, you got to train your butt off for them. But when a Game day comes, it's just a reflection of all the training and hard work that you've done. So it's more of a um, just a gauge showing yourself, and maybe the world, that's who you are, but really proving to yourself that you did the work and you did what was required every day because there's no way you can show up on game day and perform and run a certain time like at a marathon or a 100-mile race or Ironman or whatever if you didn't put in the work before, right? So it's just a testament of that. And I like being that. I mean, it's like, of course, all the things that come with it with being fit and healthy and having a you know good, healthy lifestyle um, center around that. But for me, it's more the statement I get to make to my, to my kids and my family that um, we will not quit. I mean, we have our own yep. ethos for our family that we say every day, and that's our own family ethos, and it ends with we will not quit. And we say that every night, uh, and they know that we just don't quit stuff unless, you know – it's the type of thing you have to quit, right, or you shouldn't right. quit, right? But yeah. we don't quit. That's wonderful. So now that you've done the Ironman, where do you go next? What's your next big challenge? Well, yes, that's a uh, – you know, next year we've, we're going to put a 100-mile race on the books, and it's really about sharpening my skills in Ironman to qualify okay. for uh, Ironman World Championships, which is a uh, event held in Hawaii every year, and it's held out for the, you know, the top – you know, 100 or so people in each age group in the world 
that put up the fastest time. So this year we became a little competitive, but next year it's more about dialing in and, um, you know, getting a little faster across all the disciplines. Great. That's fantastic. So you've been at the blind stuff now for, what about, we said about 15 years. Do you see something new on your horizon? You're going to keep this up or, or what comes next? Yeah, we're keeping this up, man. We love what we're doing. Like, we, I re- we really found our niche here. I found my niche, which was yep. um, building a product that is its own brand. You know, in the, in the age of Amazon, I like to, you know, one of the pieces of advice I give to, to entrepreneurs is that if, uh, and I love Amazon, by the way. I, I say this very respectfully because they're such an amazing company. But if you are going to be building a product or starting a business that competes with Amazon, good luck to you. I'm not saying you can't do that. I'm just saying you're, it's very hard <laughs> to do that. Yep, absolutely. So, you know, one of the things that we love is that we've been able to create a brand that you can only buy on the Select Blinds website. Um, you know, we've got a few million customers. We love what we do. We've got a, an entire team that loves what we do. Uh, we're all motivated. We've got a great company culture here that's got, you know, a really cool break area and a basketball court and ping pong tables like all great tech companies should have. <laughs> and it's, uh, we have fun with what we're doing. We none of us consider this work. We really feel like we just come to fun every day. That sounds great. If you have one piece of advice to give to people just starting out, entrepreneurs, millennials, you know, any stage of their life, but just starting out wanting to do some of this, besides getting up to the plate, how do you, you know, what, what is it that you need to do to get up to the plate to start with? What would you tell us? Yeah. Stop worrying what other people will think about what you want to do. And it's uh, this is something I still battle with myself, but stop worrying about what your mom will think, what your husband will think, what your best friend will think. Um, any one of those people, if they have your best interests in mind um, and they truly love you, they will support it, and they will want to openly support it. They will want to go out and tell their friends about it. So, so many people have these stories that I can't do this because what will this person think? And um, it is like that is, I, I believe, the biggest limiter of success like humankind has ever seen. I think you're right. That's fantastic. We've been talking with Rick Steele. Rick is the founder and CMO of Select Blinds, and he has managed a number of different companies throughout the, his career. Um, if people want to find out more about Select Blinds, where would they go? Sure. It's real easy selectblinds.com. You know, yep. we've, we've got all the handles on Facebook and Instagram, but the website's the best way to kind of get a feel for uh, what we do. And, um, yeah, all, you know, all the normal channels. And before we go, I have to ask, too, if people wanted to support Rubicon Rescue, Kylie's nonprofit animal rescue, where would they go for that? Oh, even better. It's just at uh, the ad symbol, of course, Rubicon Rescue, just like it sounds, um, on Facebook. Uh, she has, I don't know, a couple thousand followers on there, but she could always use more. So that is uh, definitely welcome. We hope you enjoyed this edition of Marketing Thought Leadership, brought to you by Leverage 2 Market Associates. If you'd like to find out how powerful marketing results can transform your organization, contact us at www.leverage2market.com.